Welcome to Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple Magazine that will not only help you navigate real life, but win at real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel, and this week we're talking about a serious rite of passage into the real world, taxes. If you're anything like me, hearing that word really stresses you out. And then you maybe look up the Internal Revenue Code and realize it's almost 74,000 pages long, which doesn't make the whole topic any less scary. And then maybe you get more stressed out because you have so many questions that you don't know where to start. And then you realize the deadline's coming up and it's already halfway through March. But I'm not here to stress you out. I'm here to ask the questions and get the answers from Barbara Weltman. Barbara is an attorney and author of J.K. Lasser's 1001 Deductions and Tax Breaks 2015, Your Complete Guide to Everything Deductible, and she certainly knows more than I do, so let's get started. Hi, Barbara. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for helping me today through this crazy time. I have so many questions. I don't quite know where to begin. Well, don't stress. Take things (laughs) one step at a time. Okay, so I guess my first question is, Should I be doing my taxes myself, or should I turn to a professional? Every person is different, so there's no single answer for everybody. Okay. Many people like to do it themselves, especially if it's simple, if they just have a W-2 and not too many deductions or not too many concerns. There is an option to do this free online through IRS free file, which can be used if your income in 2014 was not more than $60,000. Okay. Otherwise, you can still do it yourself, but you probably have to buy software for that purpose or use an online solution. And there are many. There are mobile solutions and desktop and cloud solutions. So there are many good ways to do it. And the good thing about all of these software solutions is that they walk you through step by step. They ask a question and you just give the information. So you don't have to know anything about taxes or be a mathematician to be able to complete a good return. That sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) But if you have any kind of complicated situation or you just don't have the time or you just don't want to do it, then certainly it's a good idea to use a paid professional. And what you'll pay may vary on the complexity of your return and where you're located, but it it is a good way to go if you don't have the confidence to do it yourself. Okay. So assuming that a lot of people are going to do their taxes on their own, probably through one of those softwares that you were describing, like TurboTax or H&R Block or something like that, I think it would be great for us to go through the process. Like we sit down, we're ready to do our taxes. What forms do I need to have with me? What form should I have ready to go? Whatever I would need to start the process. All of the above. (laughs) What you do need to gather are any information returns that you may receive. So, for example, you'll get W-2 forms from any employer. You're going to get 1099s for various types of income, and there are different 1099s for each. So, for example, if you uh, were an independent contractor performing services for a business, they're going to send you a 1099-MISS, M-I-S-C, if you received $600 or more in payment for your services. If you had interest from a bank or dividends from stock, 
you're going to receive different types of 1099s. You're going to get that all together. And if you had an ownership interest in a partnership, an S corporation, a trust, you're going to get a Schedule K-1. All of these information returns will have the necessary information to input the information onto your tax return. Okay. So... If I spent half of the year freelancing and working more as an independent contractor, and then halfway through the year I switched and now work for Time Inc., now I'm getting a regular paycheck every two weeks, how does a switch like that affect my taxes? Well, you're going to be reporting all your income. So it just means it's a little more complicated. It just means there's going to be more than one line that you're going to be putting your income on. Okay. So as a freelancer, you're going to be filling out a Schedule C which is a two-page schedule that reports your income and expenses. And then you arrive at a net amount, essentially the profit from your business. And that profit or loss will be reported on a line on your tax return. Similarly, the taxable compensation you have from a job is reported on a line on your tax return. Now, one thing that does complicate this a little is the fact that once you have business income, you're going to have to file Form 1040. You can't use any of the shorter forms like the 1040A or the 1040EZ. So sorry, what's a 1040 then? The 1040 is the so-called long form. It's the the basic tax return that allows you to take every uh, deduction and credit and report all your income. It's it's the most extensive tax form. It's the standard tax form. It's the one that everybody refers to. But there are two other options that are are simpler and shorter to complete. And one is the 1040A. Okay. And an even simpler one is the 1040EZ. And again, those forms do not allow you to report your uh, business income, meaning the income from when you were a freelancer. So for simplistic purposes, if we're assuming that a lot of listeners have just held one job this first year out of college, it's been through some kind of business like Time Inc., they will probably be using one of those 1040A or 1040EZ forms. Is that right? Most likely, because they're not going to be itemizing their deductions, most likely, and they don't have dependents, most likely. So therefore, they, they will be able to use the shorter forms. But again, you have to, it, each situation is unique, and you have to look and see that the form allows you to do everything that you need to do. And again, going back to the concept of software or tax preparer, you're going to use the right thing because okay. <laughs> the questions asked will dictate the form that gets used. Great. That's that's a good thing to know because <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like trying to keep track of all the different letters and numbers. But nah, don't worry about it. That, that, that will automatically happen. Okay. So we've, I know that everyone gets their income tax taken out of their check. Uh, so what other taxes, state ta- I know there's state tax, regional tax, are you looking out for that you'll be um, paying when you do your taxes? Well, you'll note that the W-2 also shows, as you point out, your state and local income taxes that may have been withheld, mm-hmm. but also any Social Security and Medicare taxes, the so-called FICA tax that gets withheld from your wages. There's nothing you can do about that. That's that's what you pay. And yeah. it's not deductible and you just it just shows you what you paid uh, on your tax return. What you should pay attention to is that if you have self-employment income like you pointed out from uh, freelancing and you show a profit on your schedule C, you're probably going to have to pay 
self-employment tax. Now, self-employment tax is merely FICA times two. FICA is? FICA is your Social Security and Medicare taxes that you pay so that down the road you'll be able to qualify for Social Security benefits and Medicare coverage for health. Okay. There's a Friends episode that references FICA, so now I feel like I get that joke. <laughs> this is helping on so many levels. Okay, no, but this this isn't about Friends. So now I understand all the forms and kind of what the process is going to be like. So it takes you through, so that software will take you through several questions, and then what will you end up with? Okay, well, it's going to not only ask you about your income, but it's going to ask you about your expenses. Okay. Basically, everybody's entitled to a standard deduction, or you can choose to itemize your personal deductions. Okay, and deductions are... Deductions are things like medical expenses, state and local sales taxes, charitable contributions. And deductions mean that those things, those expenses are not taxable, right? Yes. Okay. It means they're subtractions that reduce the amount of your income that would be taxed. Great. So it's an offset, if you, if you will. Okay. And deductions are only what the law allows you. Now, most deductions, or a great number of deductions, I should say, are only available if you itemize. So if you gave money to your favorite charity or to your uh, alum, to your, to your alma mater, you can only deduct it if you itemize. I mean, it's great to be charitable, but you only get the tax break if you itemize. Okay. But other deductions are allowed whether or not you itemize. So two important deductions, especially for uh, younger people recently out of college, one may be the fact that you can deduct student loan interest to $2,500 a year, and you don't have to itemize. So you get your basic standard deduction, plus you get this deduction if you qualify. There are income limits, but if you're recently out of college, most people are not going to exceed those income limits. So right. another one is a moving deduction, because many people relocate out of college, for example, to start a first job. There are uh, certain tests that you have to meet to deduct the cost of moving your your goods and yourself, mm-hmm. but you can uh, deduct the cost of your of moving for a first job if uh, your new job location is at least fifty miles from your former home. What other ways can you limit your taxable income? I know I'm contributing to like a four hundred one k. Are there things like that that young people should? know about when it comes to their taxable income? Sure. There are uh, a number of opportunities for those who have uh, a job, who are working for an employer, mm-hmm. to take advantage of paying for things that they would normally pay for, but doing it on a pre-tax basis. For example, an employer may allow uh, you to buy a monthly transit pass for public transportation, yes. but do it on a pre-tax basis. Now, normally, commuting expenses are not deductible. If you pay for commuting, no matter how far, how long, how expensive, you don't get to write it off. But the law lets you buy the monthly transit pass up to a set dollar amount on a pre-tax basis. So if that's offered, that's one good way to go. Another would be if the uh, employer offers you a flexible spending account, which is a way to pay for out-of-pocket medical costs that aren't covered by insurance. Again, there's a dollar limit on how much you can put in, but normally you'd only get to deduct your medical costs if they exceeded uh, 10% of your adjusted gross income, and you itemized. So most people recently out of school do not qualify for that. This is a good option to 
in effect, make your medical costs that are out-of-pocket pre-tax. So it, it, it will reduce the compensation on which you pay taxes. Um, and what about these 401ks or IRAs and things like that? That's a great question because the sooner that you start to put money in, the more that you'll have down the road. And even modest contributions when you're younger, because of the long time frame you have until retirement, that money really grows substantially over time. Now, contributing to a 401k, again, it means that the part of the money that you put into your company's 401k plan isn't taxed. So the, that salary portion becomes tax-free. You don't get a deduction for it, but you're not taxed on it. Another option are IRAs, and there are Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs. Now, Roth IRAs, you don't get any break going in, so you don't have any current tax savings for putting the money in. But over time, that money grows, and when you tap it down the road after age 59 and a half, it's, everything comes out tax-free, not only what you put in, but also all the earnings on it. Now, if you ha- participate in a company 401k plan, uh, you can only make deductible IRA contributions if your income is below set limits, but they're pretty generous. So okay. you, you can do both if you, if you can afford to do it. Uh, my experience, most people have to make choices. And sure. again, the, the 401k is probably the better choice if you're getting free employee matching money. Okay. That's all really good information. Uh, you've mentioned deduction a couple of times. I also know there are exemptions. What's the difference between a deduction and an exemption? Okay, an exemption is uh, like a deduction. In other words, they both reduce your, your taxes. An exemption is something that, you, that each person is allowed to claim. It's a personal exemption. That you, you just It's a, a dollar amount that you get to subtract on your return just because you're a taxpayer. Okay. And yeah, so it's a, it's a really good thing. It's not they don't, why they don't call it another deduction. I don't know because they want to just drive me crazy. I think <laughs> it's been called an exemption since 1913 or whatever. I don't know. That's why they. That's why it's an exemption. Um, there is another word that I don't want to confuse everybody, but there is another word, uh, and this is this is called an exclusion. And an exclusion is something that's tax free. It never. It's excluded. You don't include it. So it's excluded and it's not taxed. So the most common example to think about is um, interest on a municipal bond. It's tax-free. Tax-free means the interest is excluded. So, and all of these things, exclusions versus exemptions versus deductions, these softwares or someone who's working with you can recognize the differences between those things, like in case you're a little wishy-washy on... Oh, absolutely. And just to be clear, when you're, when you're doing the Q&A on the, uh, the software, these words never come up. They're just going to ask you, did you pay for X? Did you have Y? And what, well, you just answer the questions and automatically the program will, will know how to treat your answers. So you're finished filling out your tax return or finished going through the software. How do you know if you're eligible for a refund? What does that mean to be eligible for a refund? Because it sounds good, like you want to get (laughs) money back, but I think that it sounds like there might be a little more to it. Okay. Well, a refund just means that the withholding or your estimated taxes, if you made your payments yourself on your um, freelance income throughout the year, is more than what you, the taxes that you actually owe, according to the tax rules. It just means that you overpaid for the year. You sort of 
gave an advance to the government, and now you're settling up, and you're owed money. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, it sounds great, <laughs> but I think that, that it should give everybody a little pause, because from a tax perspective, it's, it's not really the best thing, because it, what it means is that you've really made an interest-free loan to the government for a year. You had to wait to file your return before you got your money back. So maybe a better course of action going forward is to look at your withholding and see if it's going to more closely match what your final tax bill is. You can, for example, file a new W-4 with your employer to make adjustments so you come out closer to what you think you're ultimately going to owe at the end of the year. Now, uh, with that said, I know that that's that's really my perspective and the Mm -hmm. better thing to do, but some people do enjoy getting a refund. They like that lump sum that they use for vacation or buying a big ticket item. So it is a personal thing. I just think you should be aware of it. Sure. And I know sometimes people have refunds that take a long time to get back to them. Like if you file before a certain deadline, will your refund come back to you more quickly? Is that possible? Well, this year there's a lot of things at play because uh, the IRS claims to be understaffed. There are some things that could delay the uh, processing of the return. And this year, for example, um, one of the issues, and we, we really don't know because this is the first year, has to do with the Affordable Care Act rules on the tax return and especially, for example, people who obtained coverage through the government exchanges and applied for a subsidy, which is a the subsidy is, in effect, a tax credit that shows up on the return and has to be reconciled on the return with the amount that was claimed when they when people signed up for the coverage. So those things could delay any refund. Okay. So what can people do once they're finished filing their taxes this year to make sure that they're better prepared in 2016? Like, what documents should they keep track of? I know, you know, if people are listening now, that probably means they're filing a little close to the deadline. Like, what's a good way to make sure you're being proactive and staying ahead of the game? I would say that if you see that your deductions, if you're looking at your deductions and you didn't have enough to itemize this year, but maybe you're going to next year, you do want to start keeping all the receipts and the records that you need to itemize. For example, if you make charitable donations, you need uh, documentation from the charities. You do want to keep track of investments in case you're investing, let's say, in the stock market and you're buying and selling, you, you want to know what's going on there so you can properly report your transactions. So that's one thing. Another thing is if you found out that you owed taxes this year, I think you want to see what you could do in terms of being more proactive next year, maybe uh taking greater advantage of pre-tax breaks offered on your job or other mm-hmm. write-offs you may be entitled to. And you may need to pay estimated taxes, which is something that, that self-employed people have to do. And that happens quarterly? Four times okay. a year. They, have, they call it quarterly, but the quarters are very uneven. It's okay. April, June, September, and January of the following year. Of course. So they don't break up to in, in even quarters. Why would they divide 12 months evenly by four? That would just be silly. Exactly. Why? <laughs> okay. Well... You know, it's a 74,000 long page document, so I know that we could talk forever, but I really feel like this has been so helpful to equip me with the terminology and just really understand what I'm going into when I start to file my taxes. So I really appreciate you making this 
very clear and easy to understand. And I really appreciate your time. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Barbara Weltman is the author of J.K. Lasser's 1001 Deductions and Tax Breaks 2015, Your Complete Guide to Everything Deductible. Thank you so much for joining me today for Adulthood Made Easy. Do you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover next time? Tweet them to me at Sam Zabel and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our producer, John L. Myers. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from Real Simple. Don't forget to buy a copy of the book that has all the answers, The Real Simple Guide to Real Life, which you can pre-order on wayfair.com slash realsimple starting March 23rd. I'm Sam Zabel. Thanks so much for joining me. I feel like my brain's melting right now.